Christ that believe and love this gospel. Anything else this morning? Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the second epistle of John. The second epistle of John. Which is really kind of strange. I wrote this sermon and got done with it. And my intentions are to teach through this book verse by verse. But I've already got another sermon in my head for next Sunday, so I might do something different next Sunday and then we'll come back. I, I try to keep myself in order because there's a lot of books that I have started and I get almost out to the end of them and I go away and I never come back. And I don't want to do that with this particular passage, this, this epistle. I've entitled this, this, this the, whole, the whole sermon series will be Abiding in Christ. I hope and I pray that I can go ahead and just do this and put that other sermon on the back burner, because I'm wanting to go over to John chapter 5, where I'm wanting to go next. I might force myself to finish uh, this book and uh, go on through it verse by verse. But this message is entitled, Abiding in Christ, Part 1. And we're going to cover three verses today is what we're going to cover. And I actually don't have an introduction for you this morning. Kind of. <laughs> I had one, but I erased it this morning. I thought, ain't no need to say that. I'm going to just start with the, 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 the important part this morning. And as I begin this study on this epistle today, I want to give you two things, two things in beginning that I know to be absolutes. You can take this to the bank. Absolutes according to the Scriptures. And the first one is this. And these, these two truths are absolutely essential for us in this walk of faith that we live in this present evil world. The first one is this. All those chosen by God the Father. This is going to sound repetitious, but it's the same thing. All those chosen by God the Father in everlasting covenant of grace. All those redeemed and justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son's obedience unto death at Calvary. All those regenerated and converted in time by God the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel, listen, can never, can never lose this salvation that has been so freely and richly bestowed upon them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to these verses. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save. Listen to him now. He said to these people, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Does that not agree with what was said of him to his father Joseph? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. That's the key. Save his people from their sins. Our Lord said this, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. How many? All that the Father gave, what's every one of them going to do? They're going to come. And him that cometh to me, all those that the Father gave, they're going to come. Those that the Father gave, they're going to come to me. Those that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me. How much? 
all that He's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And He repeats it. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son, got to see Him. How do we see Him? Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Your ears, for they hear. only way we can see is he gives us eyes to see. The seeing eye and the hearing ear. Yea, the Lord hath made even the both of them. You see the Son. You believe on him. May have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. He went on in that same chapter and said, No man can come unto me. And he said, All that the Father gave unto me, what are they going to do? They're going to come to me. But he says here, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw it. And that word draw there means physical effort. It's the same word that was translated when the Apostle Peter and him had fished. You know, they'd fished all night and they'd caught nothing. And our Lord spoke to him and said, let the net down on the right side of the boat. And when they let the net down, it was so filled with fish that they couldn't bring it into the boat and so Peter swam to shore and it says that he and that's the same where he dragged the net to the shore and I'll raise him up again at the last day it's written in the prophets they shall be all taught of God who those that the father gave him those that come to him every man therefore that hath heard there's that faith comes by here and hearing comes by the word of God hath heard and hath learned of the Father, what, that he will by no means clear the guilty, that he is just and justifier the ungodly. What does he do? They come to the Son. He said once more, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Doesn't offer. He gives eternal life. And here's the key. They shall never perish. Why shall they never perish? Neither shall any pluck them out of my father's hand, out of my hand. Then he, then he compounds it. My father which gave me to them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. One in this purpose. What? Both father and son and Holy Spirit, all of them are united in this thing of salvation. Now, these are just a few verses of our Lord's words from the Gospel of John on this subject. But the thing we need to realize is this. The Old Testament, as well as all the epistles, declare the same truth. God's glory and God's honor depend upon God's faithfulness to fulfill His promise. That's why I read 1 John chapter 5. That's an absolute. Not one that the Father purposed to save, that the Son redeemed, that the Spirit regenerates and convert can ever lose their salvation. Ever. But here's the second one. And it's the theme of this epistle that we're going to look at. Every elect sinner God saves by His almighty grace will forever abide or continue or live die in the doctrine of Christ. All of them. 
And then here's the thing. You can't make them leave it. You can't drive God's children away from the doctrine of Christ. The writer of Hebrews made this fact absolutely clear. He said, now the just, the righteous, and how do you get righteous? Not by works of righteousness, which we've done. We're declared righteous legally and judicially. How? By the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. A righteousness we had no part producing or maintaining. Now the righteous shall live how? By faith. But Now listen to this. But if any man draw back, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back. You see that? Every one of God's elect, we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but unto them that believe unto the saving of the soul. The Greek word, I look, I wrote this into my notes right before I came up here this morning. That Greek word translated by that phrase of them that draw back, it means this. The timidity of one stealthily retreating. <laughs> we'll slink away. Why? It's not important the doctrine of Christ. Listen to me. All God's elect will never, you hear me, will never through timidity stealthily retreat from the gospel and they will not retreat from the family of God. If you can, hear the warning. They went out from us make manifest they were not part of us. For had they been part of us, what would they have done? They would remain with us. That's the theme of this book. God's children abide in the doctrine of Christ. It, it's the most valuable thing to us. More valuable than our family. More valuable than our friends. More valuable than our wealth. More valuable than our own lives. Christ. His blood, His righteousness, what He accomplished on our behalf, what He accomplished on the behalf of my brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family members. Do you realize that? We're family. I got no blood connection to anybody in this group except these two. None. We're not even distant, distant relatives. We've got no heritage together. But, oh, we have an inheritance together, do we not? We're children of God, sons of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, united. Now, the Apostle John, notice how he begins this letter. He begins this letter in a place where self-righteous, religious, moralists would never, ever dare go. Notice how he starts this letter. He, he confirms to a, a sinner by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice, including her children. And this is the blessedness of this. I, I'm not going to go into this a whole lot, but he, he, can, he pronounces on her and her children, calls them what? He says, the elect lady, the elect lady with her children. So he's pronouncing the fact that not only was that woman elect, but who else is elect? Some of her children had believed the gospel. I, as a parent, now that has two grown men for sons, 
The greatest joy in my life is not what they achieved in this life. <laughs> my greatest joy is that the two boys that the Lord graciously gave me and my wife, both of them believe the gospel. And they love the gospel. And thankfully, he's given us a daughter-in-law that believes and loves this gospel too by, by one of our sons, right? That's, that, that's my comfort. I, I'll never forget, I prayed all my life, Lord, if, if you'll just let me live long enough to see my boys believe the gospel. And I had no guarantee. And when my boys came to believe the gospel, I was like, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> my wife believes the gospel. My boys believe the gospel. And then Zoe came along. <laughs> and my prayer is, if, Lord, if she's one of your elect, if she's one for whom Christ suffered, bled, and died, would you allow me to live long enough in my life to see her come to believe the gospel and rest in Christ as the Lord, her righteousness? That's my joy. That's what he's saying. This woman, she's got children that's believed the gospel. Sitting in a congregation of believers. There with joy, he says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. I can remember that old false teacher I started under. That gum near 40 some odd years, over 40 years ago. He made it extremely clear to all of us that you must never, I mean never, give any sinner any assurance that they possess eternal life while they're in this life. Just can't do it. Use language like this. We'll know we're saved when we get there. <laughs> and we lived in constant fear of it all. Every day. It, to me, it was that perpetual carrot hanging out in front of us, trying to get there. Something more to do. Something more to accomplish. He, he would insist that we couldn't and we'd never know we were saved until we finally, ultimately, enter into heaven. Then we'd have assurance. Well, obviously, the Apostle John didn't get that memo. And he certainly didn't believe that. He speaks of himself. He says here, the elder. And when you look up that word elder, it actually means one advanced in age. The senior of two people. And from everything that I found in studying for this this week, John was no longer in prison when he wrote Second John. If I'm wrong on that, I know somebody out there will correct me. From what I found, he was no longer in prison. But he was almost nearly 100 years old at this point in time. But he definitely was elder. But the word also has another meaning. It means those who presided over the assemblies or the churches. He's writing epistles. He wrote 1 John. He's writing 2 John. And he will write another epistle, 3 John, to the churches that he had been given the oversight. I'd say as an elder, he had earned that right. He had earned that privilege. See, the New Testament uses the term bishop, overseers, elders interchangeably, almost without exception. And so as the elder or the bishop or the overseer of the assembly of which this woman and her children were members, he refers to them all 
with a, a unique phrase, the elect lady and her children. That word translated by the phrase unto the elect lady in the Greek means those picked out. Now listen to this. Those picked out are chosen by God unto salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's electos, if you want to know what the Greek word is. Now listen, while election, and I want to be very clear on this, election is not salvation. Election is what? It's unto salvation. Even though that's the case, the scriptures are extremely clear that those chosen by God, what are they? They're eternally safe and they're eternally secure in Christ. Listen to Paul, Peter. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And I know a lot of people, they say, well, that foreknowledge is him looking down through time and seeing what they did and based on what they did. It's not what foreknowledge here means. It means the forelove of God. This isn't God looking through a spyglass and seeing you or me doing something and seeing somebody else not believing or not going to church or not being moral. This is the foreknowledge. The, 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 this, this is the fore, literal translation of the word foreknowledge. It's foreordination of God. Through sanctification of the Spirit. What's that? That's regeneration. That's the setting part of the Spirit. Unto what? Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What's that? We rest in Christ's blood and His righteousness by God-given faith. To those and to those alone, grace be unto you. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Listen to Paul. He and Barnabas, they were in prison. Or no, they were standing, they were, they were standing, they went before the Jews. They preached the gospel to the Jews and the Jews had rejected the gospel again. And then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken unto you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So that everybody stops right there and they think, Well, that, you know, he tried with the Jews, and so now he's going to try with the Gentiles. It's not what he's saying. Because listen to his next words. He says, For so the Lord hath commanded us, saying, I have set thee as a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Remember, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, both Jew and Gentile, of all nationalities, race, creed, and color. And when the Gentiles heard this, what did they hear? Set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. When they heard that, again, faith comes by here and hearing comes by the word. When they heard that, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, how many? As many as were ordained to eternal life, what did they do? They believed. Listen to me. God-given knowledge of the certainty of salvation in and by Christ's righteousness alone 
is the only place one can truly abide in the doctrine of Christ. I stole it from Bill Parker years ago, and I've used it over and over and over again, and I'll continue to use it because it's true, and he got it from somebody else. It's not really there. The justified sinner has for his or her starting place what the self-righteous religionist has for his or her goal. We begin this life of faith Having been taught of God, what have we been taught? In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. That he is the Lord, our righteousness. That's the name wherewith we've been called. While they, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end. He's the completion. He's the fulfillment. He's the totality. He's the it is finished of righteousness to every man that believeth. John was just being faithful to what he had written in the first epistle. We read it this morning. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life and his life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you might know unto the elect lady and her children that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. Can you imagine what comfort it gave to that woman to have this elder in the church tell her and refer to her as the called out, the ordained, the chosen of God, redeemed through Christ Jesus? But the next part of this text shows us the basis on which this apostle's bold and dogmatic declaration speaking of this woman and her children who were sinners is elect. How could he do that? Notice, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all those who have known the truth. What do they do? They love her too. Why? For the truth's sake. For the truth's sake. Which dwelleth in us. We're going to touch on this in just a minute. And shall be with us forever. Christ once told the Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth, same truth, the truth shall set you free. Christ told his apostles, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, but how? By the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ. He told his disciples and all those who would believe on him through their testimony, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Listen, who was comforting them? Christ. He's told them it's expedient that I go away, because if I don't go away, who can't come? The comforter can't come. But then he tells them, when I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, that he abide with you forever. Even, this is what he calls this comforter, 
the spirit of truth, whom the world, listen to, listen to the difference, whom the world cannot receive. What can the world not receive? Truth. The spirit of truth. All you got to do is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Cannot receive the spirit of truth. Because it doesn't see him. Neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwells with you. Who was with him right then? Christ. But he says he shall be where? In you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's His Holy Spirit. The Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, He says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. When our Lord Jesus Christ was standing before Pontius Pilate, Pilate looked at Him and said unto Him, Art thou king? Are you a king? Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, hears my voice. How many? Everyone that's of the truth, born of the truth. In the truth, they hear his voice. And every one of these verses that I just quoted to you, read to you from John and his gospel, as well as every time he uses it in these epistles, both 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that word translated truth means the truth respecting God's execution of his purposes through the promised Messiah. That's the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, John wrote this, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath been taught you, here's what's important, you shall abide, continue, where? In the truth. Listen, John didn't like this lady. He didn't declare this lady and, and her children to be elect because he liked them. And he didn't do so because she had been kind to him. And he certainly didn't do it because he was related to her. His declaration concerning her and her children was grounded on what is the overriding theme of this epistle. All of them abided in, or they continued in the truth, namely, what truth did they abide in? That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses in them, to them. And see, here's the thing. This is the tie that binds them, Bound them. And it's the tie that binds all of God's elect in every generation. What? That God was in Christ reconciling the world in himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath given to us what? What are we to tell sinners? We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. To tell sinners this glorious truth. Nothing more, nothing less.
And see, the same apostle had written in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we've passed from death into life because what do we do? We love the brethren. We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now you pay careful attention to the way the Spirit inspired John to record this next phrase, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. I said this a moment ago, but I'll repeat it. Not only did John love them in the truth, but all they that had known the truth loved them as well. Didn't Christ state that about as plainly as he could to his disciples? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How do they know that we're his disciples? If you love one another. Not the world. Because he's already said over in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world. Neither the things of the world. Right? But he says, they'll know you're my disciples in that you do what? You love the brethren. You love one another in Christ for the truth's sake. As justified sinners believe in saints, you know, we, we can be so stubborn and so hard-hearted at times. Not considering the reality that those who are of like precious faith, who have Christ in them the hope of glory, whether or not they measure up to the standard of the world, what the world considers love one toward another. Get our feelings hurt. We get anxious over something and we cast them to side. Move away from them. Paul told those at Ephesus, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. That's believers. With all malice. And here's, here's how we're to deal with one another. And be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Now, does that mean compromise the gospel? No way. But to brethren, what are we to be? We're to be kind with one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How do we forgive one another? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love. It's a command. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We don't love one another because of our personalities. I, 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 there's some believers that this sounds awful, but it's true. There's some believers you just have to love from a distance. Now, there are. But still, when it comes to our relationship in Christ, we get beyond the personalities. This is not a personality. Con I'm not here because I like you, and I hope you're not here because you like me. We're here because we need to be comforted one with another where? In Christ. That's all we do here, I think. I don't beat people to death and threaten you with eternal condemnation. I tell you what, that believe the record. Take God at His word. Rely upon Him to be faithful to what He's promised us. 
Again, we don't love one another because of our personalities, but for the truth's sake. Which, what's the truth? We, we love them for Christ's sake. Because what did he do? He loved them. Listen, that person who I am indifferent toward or do not show affection and kindness toward, that is my brother in Christ, Christ died for them just like he died for me. He bore their sins in his body on a tree just like he bore my sins in the body on a tree. You know, for us to be proud and distant one from another is like one, one clod of mud saying to the other clod of mud, I don't want to be near you. That's all we are. Proud dirt, period. Because listen to me. He tells us that he, this Holy Spirit, what does he do? He dwells in us now by his Holy Spirit, but in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us one day what's he going to be with us. He's going to be with us forever. We're going to follow the Lamb forever. Listen to this. This is his and me. Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. This is Christ. This is after his death. This is before his ascension. He says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Those words, at the end, unto the end of the world, literally means unto the end of eternity. We studied it this morning in Sunday Bible class hour. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But now to these elect sinners who love one another for the truth's sake, John pronounced eternal blessedness on them all. Listen to it. Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Let me read you a literal translation. This is Jung's literal translation of this verse. There shall be with you grace, kindness, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and in love. In this verse, John set forth the truth that all blessings, where do they come from? They're all from God. Grace, peace, mercy. They all come from God with absolutely no conditions on you or me at any time, in any way, to any degree, ever. In other words, these blessings, they're never secured by legal mercenary efforts on our part. And they're not sought for as a promise of reward. Grace and mercy, what's that? It's God the Father, what did he do in grace and in mercy? He conditioned all of our salvation, not on us but on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after conditioning all of our salvation on Him, what did He do? In the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? To redeem them, to fulfill all those conditions that were my conditions that He bore in His body on the tree. Peace, you think about this. Peace here is the eternal peace and acceptance with God based on the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we keep quoting that verse. God was in Christ reconciling. What's that? Made peace. 
Made peace with who? With himself. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for my own sake. Therefore will I remember thy iniquities no more. Who are the recipients of this grace, this mercy, this peace from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who live and walk and abide in the gospel, seeking no favor from God based on anything but the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, freely bestowed upon us by his mercy and his grace. Listen to these verses and we'll quit. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom this world is crucified unto me and I unto this world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, what? God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. and mercy upon the Israel of God. He said to those at Philippi, For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. And one more. Therefore, now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. What's it made me free from? For the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, what could it not do? It could not pronounce any sinner justified based on that sinner's best obedience to the law. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and far sin, what did he do? He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. What's that? Walk after a spirit of unregeneracy, seeking to establish a righteousness by obedience, but walk after the spirit. Trust in him ever and always to do what he's promised for us. And Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll pick up in verse 4 next week. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you until we see you.